Awesome. Uh, well, super excited to have you here, Mike. Uh, thank you so much. Um, honestly, a uh, big admirer of what you've done. Uh, I think it's very hard to create something and ultimately you've done that multiple times, ultimately starting out with the block and now being at six man, I would love to maybe just start the conversation there. Um, and what inspired you ultimately to start the block and, um, yeah, kind of your journey into the crypto industry. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me. Really exciting to be here, Logan. So the, um, so the truth of the matter is, uh, I've you know, been a long time believer in the potential of, you know, public blockchains and, you know, permissionless applications, financial and non-financial applications, but was first introduced to financial applications. Uh, this is while I was working in fintech. So I have you know, a decade of experience in fintech at Google Wallet, at Braintree Venmo. Braintree is actually where I was introduced to Bitcoin. Um, Braintree is like a Stripe-like uh, you know, payment gateway and, and processor that was acquired by PayPal. And we were thinking about in 2013, having Bitcoin be, you know, uh, a form of payment and Uber and Airbnb and other apps. And obviously, you know, that didn't happen. Uh, but you know, it got me really interested in these public blockchains and the potential for them, uh, not necessarily to replace, you know, existing, uh, you know, financial, in that case, payment rails or financial products, but certainly to be an alternative to them. Um, so anyway, got really excited, you know, bought some Bitcoin, but but didn't really jump in and frankly missed sort of the evolution from just kind of like Bitcoin to, you know, the launch of Ethereum. Uh, so that 2014 to 20, early 2017 period, I sort of missed um, because I was so focused on a, on a Web2 business, uh, the introduction of, you know, smart contract enabled blockchains, right? So Ethereum, and then obviously there were a bunch of ICOs and there were other architectures like Solana that launched kind of in the 2018 time period, um, but started to observe that in 2017, started to see some really interesting applications like early NFTs, um, early, early uh, DeFi and got interested. So said, hey, you know, more than just, you know, money movement networks, we actually have some interesting applications that are starting to be built on public blockchains. And so I decided, hey, I want to be there. I want to move from fintech where largely, you know, we're putting lipstick on a pig, we're putting nice UI and interfaces on legacy infrastructure. And I want to start to build out that alternative, again, financial and non-financial um, application layer. Uh, and so to your question, you know, how did I decide to start the block? So I'm not like an engineer. So I'm not, a, you know, and I knew like, I, and we were still at that time, 2017 at the you know, protocol layer, really like building out the protocols. Uh, and I was just, I can't contribute there. Um, I'd never been an investor. So you basically had like two main, and, and I wasn't a trader. Those are like the main market participants at that time were like yeah. really heavy engineering um, trading and, and you know, venture investing, call it. And I'm oversimplifying, but those are the broad categories. But what I found is that, you know, you had a lot of like the public and people were interested in their imaginations were engaged by Bitcoin, and Ethereum, and, and some of the, you know, more legitimate ICOs that were happening, things like Filecoin and, and that have shown to be really you know, starting to be valuable, you know, years later. And, uh, but people are confused as hell, including me. And you'd ask somebody a question, you get 10 different answers, or it would take 10 people to answer one question, you know, yeah. multidisciplinary. So bottom line is my goal has always been, I think these 
networks. And I think, you know, the sort of the systems and the governance around them um, are revolutionary, but it's really complex to tell a story. Let's try and, uh, but to get people to use them, they have to start to understand them. So, you know, 2018, I said, let's, uh, you know, I'm going to help do that. So I started the block, did my best to recruit in the best researchers and journalists that I could find who were what I would say is default optimistic. And again, you see it today in the mainstream media, and I'm just going to use that oversimplified term, but you see a lot of skepticism of new things. Almost it's, it's just like built into the business model of, of news and, and frankly of like research that, uh, you know, I wanted to offer a counterpoint to that, that I believe is objective. So basically informed, call it trade or industry coverage that would be understandable to a broad audience. So found of the block was fortunate enough to meet incredible people like Larry Cermak, like uh, Frank Shaparo, you know, persuade them that we could put together a dream team. We had you know, folks like Teo Leibowitz, who's at Uniswap. Arjun Balaji was working part-time before joining Paradigm. Some really brilliant people, some, some of whom, you know, many of whom are still there, you know, um, Stephen Zhang. Um, so it's been really, really exciting to see that business grow. I sold that, by the way, last year. Um, so they can continue to stay truly independent, which I think is critically important in this ecosystem. But yeah, started the block because I felt like we needed credible, as objective as possible. Of course, you know, human beliefs and thoughts are going to enter into any piece. There's nothing that's like a truly perfectly objective. So, you know, I think they did a good job there. Um, we did a good job there. Um, that being said, it's stressful as hell. And so I told it. Because uh, I'm really out there, and if you're prominent and you're docs in this ecosystem and you're doing research into companies, many of which later turned out to be frauds or turned out to be poor risk managers or turned out to be incompetent, you're attacked relentlessly, both formally via legal means as well as informally. And I just got exhausted and by it and said, hey, if I'm in the money flow industry, I ought to get myself actually into the money flow. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, it's super impressive. I mean... I, I really do ultimately admire the people that can build things. Uh, it's extremely, extremely difficult. There's a lot of kind of people that uh, would like to comment from the crowds, so to speak. And so I always admire the people in the arena building. Um, and so, no, it's impressive. I guess ultimately from that time building the block, what were some of like the biggest takeaways? Was this your first kind of entrepreneurial journey? Um, what was the like biggest lessons there as like building and growing the team um, also as kind of, well, I guess 2018, 19 was kind of the bear market, but uh, as the industry kind of grew, uh, what were some of the learnings there as well? Yeah. So, no, so it was the second business I built. The first was a web two business called button still exists doing you know, many tens of millions in revenue, I believe cash flow positive. Uh, we raised 65 million. So I'd actually started a company was co-founder and chief revenue officer there. So it wasn't, it was the first company I was CEO of though. Um, so one thing I learned is, and I still to this day say, I want to be building things in an area where there are no experts, right? So there was no expert there. Like there's very few areas of crypto where there are truly like experts. And frankly, the people who look like experts turn out to be, you know, two years later, not right. The best token economics people of the last cycle, you know, basically created the token token economics that blew up some of the largest protocols. So, you know, we don't need to name names, but that's just like what happened. So one thing is <clears throat> I'd never run a news or media organization, um, but uh, 
you know, I was able to persuade people who were professionals in those areas to come together and work together as a team. So, you know, one big learning is you don't have to be an expert yourself, but you do need to put people around you who have experience. Um, and, and so my unique experience was kind of in recruiting and telling a story um, and being mission driven and principled. Um, and so was very successful there. Uh, what where some other things that I learned are you know, people who have tons of experience, by the way, it has to be the right experience. I thought we needed, for example, like formal news editors, but you know, I had to fire the first two that I hired because they came from like traditional news and just had no, you know, they, they weren't native and didn't really, you know, so, you know, it's always about people. Um, I also learned, I actually, uh, as I mentioned, you know, Bitcoin was the first thing I'd ever purchased uh, in crypto. And I was kind of like, I, I think Bitcoin maximalists would never have accepted me as a Bitcoin maximalist, but I was like a Bitcoin mostimalist until like 2019. <laughs> and I think, you know, I, what I learned is, uh, and you'll see, you see this a lot in the media today, people don't separate the actual, you know, work that goes on the page, like the professional work from, hey, what you say on Twitter or in person. So, you know, you have to be really, really careful. Like you can't just like change personas. And I think that I did a disservice um, to some of the great work by being very outspoken and, you know, a little too attack worthy and, and particularly um, and you'll, you're seeing it again now. And I think it's really important because we're in a bear market right now and you're seeing a lot of crossfire, cross chains, cross projects, you name it, um, is, uh, you know, the, we have enough challenges. What I learned at the block is we have enough challenges inside, I'm sorry, outside of the industry, right? Like from governments, from, you know, entrenched interests, from the, 99% of the people in the world who have never used, like actually used a public blockchain that, you know, we shouldn't sort of shoot ourselves um, and that that crossfire makes us look unserious. So, you know, I kind of like learned that I was, I got myself a little bit too much into that in the last cycle at the down parts. Um, it burnt me out. It wasn't useful. And so this cycle I've learned uh, to be, you know, I think not always, like I like to ship posts and have a little fun here and there, but to generally be, you know, more positive and constructive in my criticisms, public and private. Um, last thing is, uh, I learned that you, it's okay to build a business, uh, sorry, to found a business that you don't actually, you aren't the perfect person to run for 20 years, right? And by the way, I think that's really important in crypto because a lot of these protocols that are built actually are ultimately going to be governed, you know, maintained and grow via the community. Like that's, you know, or via, you know, the public, right? Like the whole point is people, you know, own the network and, you know, use tokens to incentivize, to orchestrate, you know, decision-making. That's also true of many crypto companies. So while I founded the block, I wasn't the right person. And almost, you know, there was this group of people, I'm 43 now, I'm like a boomer, right? In crypto terms. And, you know, everybody we hired was in their twenties and it was just okay to say, Hey, those folks are really better to take that mission forward for a long time, which um, I think you're going to see again, particularly in crypto, a lot more of that because cycles move fast. You, the, the community ultimately does run businesses. It's been cool, you know? Um, so just constantly, constantly learning. Uh, the next business that I started was uh, one called Links Down. We can talk about that later. Yep. But ultimately, you know, from day one, you know, came up with the idea with a few folks. And from day one, I was like, I'm not the CEO of this business, right? We're going to find a group of people who can take this forward. 
And I never would have been comfortable with that, you know, seven, eight years ago. I would have been like, I have to micromanage this and immediately knew there was, a, you know, my co-founder was going to be better to run that as CEO. No, I, I think ultimately those are great points. Uh, building the correct team and building people uh, that are capable of the job, kind of keeping a positive attitude through the ups and downs, and then ultimately kind of knowing when to push forward and if other people are the most, maybe better appropriate to uh, kind of push forward the industry. Exactly. Um, like the last one is just be yourself. So, yeah. you know, you can't, I couldn't, I, I was like, I can't change myself to be a different kind of CEO of the block. And the block needs like a very cool, calm, collected, you know, uh, leader. And, and so basically that's the person, Mike McCaffrey, wonderful leader who runs it today. You know, know your role and don't try to change yourself. And by the way, multiple styles work. You have to be your own style. We need loud, vocal proselytizers who are clear and concise and credible at the same time that we need heads down builders. And you shouldn't be ashamed to be, you know, one or the other. No, I, I definitely agree. Ultimately, uh, you took a lot of those learning lessons and uh, started Six Men. Uh, could you... And go into a little bit of like taking those lessons of being a founder, I guess, for the second time at the block to building another company or a firm with six men. Um, and then ultimately share a little bit more of six man's thesis. Yeah, absolutely. So basically um, starting a venture firm is, you know, traditionally it's a really, really difficult thing to do. And like, I would never have thought to do it in traditional venture, right? Um, because there's these very like multi-decade processes in place. Um, but I did believe, you know, via my entrepreneurial experience, building businesses and just seeing the market and knowing the people, um, particularly meeting incredible, so many incredible founders while at the block and being asked to angel invest and actually not doing it while I was running the block because I didn't, I didn't want conflicts. Um, other than, you know, I think I made one investment into 21 shares because it was a very, very good friend of mine. Um, the, uh, the thing that I learned is like this start, so starting a venture firm is, uh, it's a company, right? It's, you have a management company, it's an entrepreneurial venture like anything else. And what's so rewarding about crypto VC, there's a, there's a strong misperception about what true crypto VC is, I think, in the public. You certainly have, you have crypto hedge funds who are trading nonstop and often call themselves VCs. Um, that's that's different. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about um, funds that have long term structures, right? Like ten years, ten years plus a couple years um, of fund life, you know, up to five year investment periods, and are actually investing at the earliest stages in both equity and equity with token warrants, but actually you know, equity of companies, um, which is something that we do. Um, in addition to investing in tokens, if that's the form of consideration that's being offered, depending on the type of business or project, but basically uh, saw an opportunity for uh, in in crypto, you know, VCs actually have to participate like in the project. Like you actually have to like to be really valuable, like use the network and use the products. Like yeah. an example is like we invested in Magic Eden, and like I'm a massive, you know. NFT collector and trader, a massive might be an overstatement, but you know, pretty big. Um, and so you have to love the products and be able to offer these deep product, you know, insights. 
Um, and frankly, the founders like grill you like before, you know, they're like, why you? Um, you know, we're looking at a stablecoin business right now. I just had a meeting right before this. And, um, you know, the founder is you know, grilling you on like, and, and I worked at Paxos, you know, regulated stablecoin companies have, have spent time thinking through it. And what's exciting is um, in, in crypto is the founders really want you to impart that knowledge and work alongside them as entrepreneurs. And they typically will put together syndicates of investors angels and professional investors who have these varied experiences. And you see with the biggest firms, for example, they have big research departments. Um, you know, I think at traditional VCs, you'll see they have operating partners, but like most of it's a smokescreen. Here, it's like real. Like they're actually like building out, you know, the best like paradigm or like literally building out frameworks that allow others to build businesses. So anyway, 6MV. Um, we started it, me and my uh, founding partner, Serge Kasarjan, you know, we're we are the classic, like we met at Stanford, <laughs> like, you know, 20 years ago, um, you know, became really good friends. We met in the sixth man basketball club, the sixth <laughs> man ventures, but also it's like, you know, again, the spirit we were just talking about helping founders, you know, when necessary. So six man comes off the bench in basketball, you know, to give a shot in the arm to the team. So that that's the spirit of what we do. Um, so we don't invest in, you know, L1s themselves directly. Um, we invest in the application layer, uh, the crypto application layer, because it's where we have experience over multiple decades, you know, and everything from media and entertainment. You know, I worked at Disney. I worked at YouTube. Surge worked at Sony and a bunch of other places. And then we worked in fintech. So we have, like, really good experience that's relevant to the types of financial and non-financial applications that are being built. So you know, our, you know, overarching, so we're not as thesis driven as for example, you know, there are deep thesis driven firms that will say, Hey, we invest in these five areas and we are literally just going to sit on these five themes for the next 12 to 18 months and only invest in them. Um, what we are is we invest in some broad areas that we believe are really critically important. Uh, and then we'll look for the right teams opportunistically, but we don't feel like we need, Hey, if we don't find the right team in an area we're excited about, we don't feel like desperately like we need to invest there. Okay, we'll just move on to next. So the areas that we invest in are so applications. Uh, right now, you know, we've done historically a lot of like gaming and quote unquote metaverse, but really like gaming applications, play and earn, you know, free to free to own that kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, sort of Web three. Uh, networks, something like Teleport, like a decentralized Uber that's you know, being built using Solana uh, on top of Solana. Um, you know, marketplaces and wallets, like we've invested in Rainbow Wallet and Floor, uh, Magic Eat and Rarible, Super Rare. You know, so we, we've invested in, you know, kind of that ecosystem um, all the way over to uh, step in, you know, a, a move and earn game. And then... Um, Etherscan. So, so then, the, you know, and then we get to infrastructure. So things like, um, you know, decentralized identity, right? Um, decentralized is a weird word, but just like, you know, permissionless, uh, you know, storage, decentralized mm -hmm. storage. Um, but infrastructure, developer tooling. Um, we've done some node and wallet infrastructure. Uh, so, and Frank, so basically it would be like applications primarily, consumer and business applications, and then the second bucket being infrastructure to support that because today it's really hard to use those applications. Um, you know, another one is like we invest in fiat on off ramps. We just invest in a company called Crossmint. Uh, you know, just a bunch of stuff like that. Overarching goal, 
we want to invest in the applications that the next billion people are going to use. And then we want to invest in the infrastructure that's going to allow that to happen. Um, yeah. you know, whether it's, again, wallets, marketplaces, or decentralized infrastructure, developer tooling, the last category. Um, the thesis is, or sorry, our strategy is we're pre-seed and seed investors primarily. We we have a, you know, our fund's $140 million in size, so we can't write $10 million checks into a single company. So what we're looking for is, hey, can we, you know, lead or co-lead those rounds at the earliest stages and then continue to invest in companies as they grow and the bigger funds, you know, take our parada as they grow and the bigger funds invest alongside us. But we're best as entrepreneurs at helping zero to one, right? Yeah. And so, you know, go to market, designing token economics, but the things that you have to do to set up a company um, from the earliest days, that's what we know how to do. I haven't run a 10,000 person company, right? Like, so I haven't taken a company public. So, um, yeah, that's where the A16Zs and the paradigms come in. Perfect. No, I, uh, just going back to some of the earlier things that you said, uh, ultimately, I I definitely agree with VCs kind of being a value add. Uh, if they're structured to kind of incentivize the growth long term, I do think I agree with you. Ultimately, uh, it is very misunderstood, especially in crypto. I think uh, just because some of these tokens do become liquid relatively quickly, there's some misconceptions. Uh, but yeah, starting a venture fund, uh, is very hard. Currently You've go done it. You've done it. Right. I mean, in the process of doing it, I mean, we, we are live, but, uh, yes, it's, it's extremely difficult. Yeah. And, and particularly in crypto. So it's very entrepreneurial. You have to set up legal entities. You have to set up all types of, you know, security, you know, either self custody, institutional custody, um, all kinds of licensing, uh, you know, onshore, offshore. So, Super complex, but that, you know, frankly is, it's a moat, you know, there's only yep. so many people who both can do that, uh, can then raise money, but then can also deploy it and help entrepreneurs. Uh, I think money was a little more accessible over the last couple of years for investors and you're going to see a bunch flop. Um, and I think what's going to be interesting is to see in two years, you know, who's still around with, with, you know, strong returns. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, I ultimately think the landscape is sh shifting a little bit, but it's, it was awesome to hear kind of your walkthrough of explaining uh, your strategy thesis behind Six Man uh, with the overarching goal of kind of Web3 adoption more broadly. Um, so kind of jumping or piggybacking off the Web3 adoption, uh, you are uh, a big proponent of like the Ethereum ecosystem. I know, uh, um, Magic Eden ultimately is started out on Solana, moved over to uh, Ethereum as well. Can you talk a little bit about like why you're excited specifically about those ecosystems and like um, just going forward, um, some things that excite you? Yeah, absolutely. So the primary ecosystems that we invest in today are the Ethereum ecosystem. Certainly, you know, that's where I would say the majority of, sorry, the, we've deployed our polarity. The, the most money that we've deployed has gone into either the Ethereum ecosystem or call it multi-chain infrastructure. Okay. Things again, like decentralized identity that could work across chains, um, decentralized customer support, you know, that could work across chains, things of that nature. Um, second is, is Solana. So we've invested in the Solana ecosystem. Uh, and then, yeah, we've started, we just made our first investment in the SWE ecosystem. So really, really excited about that. Um, 
and then I th we've done a couple. So, so the Ethereum ecosystem, there's like you know, the L1 itself, but then there's uh, you know you've got side chains, you've got L2s, you've got rollups, right? So we've made investments in you know applications building on Polygon, on Avalanche. We're looking at some interesting things on Starkware, um, and then you know exploring you know Arbitrum, you know op Optimism, and a bunch of other stuff. We've also done you know some zk tech investments that again will will sort of go across these different rollups we've done bridges but the so the thesis with ethereum like why invest there it's just the most robust so the most money today like you know my goal is that we'll be around for decades as a firm and it's certainly possible in five years we'll be deploying more capital to other blockchain ecosystems that grow to larger dollar volumes. So the, the fact of the matter is, you know, out of all of the application layer blockchains, um, or you know, sorry, blockchain ecosystems that support you know robust applications like DeFi and other and um, you know and and non-financial applications, Ethereum is by far the biggest. So so it's just you'd be crazy. Uh, unless you have a very strong chain specific thesis, which we don't to, to ignore Ethereum. Um, I think it's most robust in that you have, you know, you have multiple different scaling technologies um, and approaches being attempted. Now I'm not an engineer, so you should definitely interview my partner, Carl, about his thoughts on the various approaches. None of which, by the way, are even close to riskless or even close to you know being proven to work at scale. And you know, I've I've read and listened to a lot of what you've written, and I think I share some of your concerns about you know any one particular approach, which is, for example, why you know we're not an Arbitrum you know maxi shop or anything like that. Okay. Yeah. The bottom line is, um, we invest primarily in good applications and good teams. And, you know, we'll make recommendations or talk to them about the trade-offs of, you know, again, building on Polygon versus Avalanche versus Solana. Uh, and sometimes we will invest a team pre-selection of a chain, by the way. Okay. Um, but again, the reasons that you would build, like I, you know, we built our own project, LinksDAO, on Ethereum is because there's just the most money. So that's where, like, the buyers were who would pay for the NFT. Um, and also, you know the most robust infrastructure at the time. This was January 1st of last year. So the best wallets, the most liquid marketplaces, NFT marketplaces. I think Solana, you know, caught up over the span of last year. And we, you know, we all know what happened with FTX and there's a little bit of uncertainty right now. But I feel like Solana has really, really good um, <clears throat> supporting infrastructure for applications as well. And we have a ton of uh, companies that we've invested in that are building on Solana. And I'm very optimistic uh, about Solana as well. I'm also excited about their architecture where it's sort of monolithic and you know, it's a layer one that actually could scale as an L1. Uh, that excites us. So, you know, we believe in different approaches and, and again, not being a chain specific thesis investor, uh, we follow the entrepreneurs. Nice. No, I mean, ultimately, I think one of the things that I I've always admired the people that are better at Twitter. Uh, my co-founder is much better than I and you are. Uh, but I think one thing that I specifically admire about your Twitter and ultimately how you communicate with these communities is the fact that going back to your earlier point of like trying to be positive um, in the sense of uplifting the individual communities, but also being, I would say, fair and objective when 
people or individuals or kind of holistically, you think they're taking the wrong approach. So you're fairly criticizing uh, both like, well, you're complimenting on the way up. And then ultimately, if you think there's nefarious or bad things, uh, you also uh, will call that out. And so I appreciate about. Yeah. And, that. and occasionally I'll do it wrong. Right. Like I'll like I'll say something public. I'll apologize. I'd rather be a little bit more edgy in that respect because I think you mm -hmm. get closer to truths. Yeah. Um, and then to your point. So so, for example, let's just take Solana currently. Um Part of the reason I've been so vocal, you know, we're recording this in early December, is that, you know, since the FTX blow up, I feel like there has been quite a bit of misinformation about Solana. I think there has been some uh, very accurate criticism of the Solana ecosystems and the types of projects that perhaps launched in 2021 um, and some of, you know, the VCs who are involved and other folks who are involved and perhaps did dump and, and retail didn't benefit. So some fair criticism. But I also think there's some tremendous things happening right now. Uh, was at Breakpoint, for example, Solana's conference uh, a couple of weeks ago. And tremendous optimism, tremendous things being built. Obviously, it's just before you know the FTX blow up. But uh, so, so to your point though, of uh, you know, sort of filling a gap, I, I've been a little bit critical over the last couple of days of people who were previously, I think, vocal are still in the community, but maybe aren't stepping up to talk about uh, what's being built. I don't know why, and it's frustrating me. So I'm trying to fill that gap. And, you know, I, I would say that includes both official, you know, like actually people officially associated with Solana, you know, whether it's Labs Foundation, you name it, but also, you know, folks who have invested heavily. So I, I've started to see now a groundswell of people talking about metrics that are positive, and I'm really excited. And I think it's important to say and do uncomfortable things that are truthful to sort of draw out and give others the confidence and the cover. Yeah to speak optimistically themselves. No, and I, I think you nailed it on the last point. I that And that is the hard part is saying the things that other people aren't always comfortable saying. And those are the leaders that I, I do admire the most. On, and ultimately the topic of, I was also at Breakpoint. Uh, it, it was interesting because last year, uh, everybody was kind of euphoric, uh, November, 2020 to 2021. Uh, and then this year, ultimately, um, kind of the Luna explosion happened in the summer. Uh, and then I felt like that was kind of dwindling or end in the mirror, so to speak. And then Breakpoint was a really fabulous event, in my opinion. Lots of builders, a lot of enthusiasm, uh, but it was semi comical in some sense that ultimately the day after Breakpoint, uh, all the FTX stuff happened. In your point of view, how does this kind of shape the landscape of crypto? Um, are we just going to be in like a prolonged bear market? Um, what, what, not like on price, but how do you kind of, I guess, view the landscape going forward in the wake of the recent events? Yeah, so great question. I believe that, uh, yeah, so set aside price. Um, well, so price is important just in the very near term, because I do think we're in a we're in a point where in the very near term, and it's already happened in some cases, you're going to continue, I think, to get, you know, drips of news for the next few months of like projects of entities, um, you know, who are Im impacted by FTX were impacted by not only on Solana, but other ecosystems where the token price have dropped dramatically and, you know, they didn't do good treasury management and they're just out of runway. Uh, and so you're going to see projects go away. Like 
you know, in some cases, it'll be a shame because they were some good projects, but in many cases, you know, maybe weren't going to make it anyway. So we need to work through that. Um, what I will say, though, is we are not in a sort of bear market for uh, really interesting uh, ideas and for credible builders uh, across multiple blockchain ecosystems that I'm seeing, right? So you have new ones and people are skeptical, um, but others are optimistic, you know, Aptos and SWE, we've got, you know, you know, those two blockchains coming, you know, over the next year and starting to grow. That'll be interesting to observe um, and, and see how they take off. Uh, you have, again, the Ethereum ecosystem, including you know, Polygon, including Avalanche, including Immutable, uh, and then you have Solana, um, and then you have others. But but those are the areas that I focus. Cosmos, obviously, there's a lot going on there. I'm just not as close to it. You can only be close to so many things in this space. And so you just have to, yeah, just at some point, you just have to say, I, I'm not going to be able to go deep there. Um, perhaps as we grow as a fund over the years, we'll be able to add to the team and invest in more and more areas. But we, we tend to stick to the areas that, you know, we have a little bit more depth of understanding. Um, and sometimes you learn through the entrepreneurs you back. So it may be that we'll learn more about Cosmos uh, over time through entrepreneurs that we back. But to the original question, so so it's not a bear market on building, uh, and but it's a bear market certainly on usage. Like businesses are very gun shy to now, although what's exciting is we're talking today and like the Starbucks pro program is launching, right? That's exciting. So let's see. I'm excited to see how that's received. Uh, but um, but again, largely, you know, new implementations that maybe weren't particularly financial imp uh, implementations, right? Um, you know, I, I just know of a number of, you know, fintech and other products that were in pretty deep motion that I think people are hitting pause on as they see sort of the questions and the troubles around Silvergate, um, you know, and sort of the fallout uh, as, you know, as, as we, as Washington sort of turns its uh, eyes towards um, the regulatory failures uh, and the risk management failures of the past 18 months. So um, yeah, we're, we're gonna be in, I think a you know, bear market in sort of new adoption, but not in terms of new building. And there is plenty of money in the ecosystem and it's being deployed by us, by you and by others. I think at extremely reasonable reminds me of 2018 and 2019 yes. when like you could invest in a pre-seed deal below $10 million. You could invest in a seed deal below $20 million, uh, meaning a seed with traction. Like this stuff makes sense and it has to normalize, especially as you look at where a lot of the things that went public are trading and you know, many of the lauded projects, you know, their market caps are sub 50 million and they were like privately funded well above that. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, great points. I mean, ultimately, I would definitely echo the sentiments, uh, it, especially after like Breakpoint and talking with different uh, ecosystems and people are excited to build and it feels terrible at least at the moment because last year felt amazing and everything was going up builders were getting a bunch of money but i i think returning to kind of your your last sentence is like things are returning back to um a more normalized kind of behavior where like people the focus is actually getting users and getting real world adoption and i think that's sometimes what crypto got away from uh, it was more just number go up and so I, like you, ultimately, I'm very excited for 
crypto adoption and users. Um, maybe we have to go back to the drawing boards with building actually easy to use Web3 applications, but uh, hopefully when things kind of turn around, we'll have better experiences and uh, more users. Yeah, and I think it's um, to your point. So a lot of it, a lot of what we're investing is infrastructure, right? I mentioned a few, which, but like there are others like security, right? Like um, you know, better MPC technology and smart contract wallets and things that, again, will allow people in a more secure way to interact with blockchains. Like it's our job to do that, so that uh, in the next go round, um, you know, we have the right primitives in place for people to just kind of like jump right in and yeah, uh, and then. To your point, in the bull market, you know, it, it, you're almost just responding to like demand, and some of it was obviously clearly a lot of it was skewed by price, versus, uh, you know, having been an entrepreneur myself, the the discomfort that I think a lot of us feel right now as we build is healthy. I mean, you got like we're not going to make unless you build a thing. So, you know, um, you're, what you're seeing now is a lot more startups at early stages, having the time and the space to work with design partners. And because like, they don't have to service a growing customer base that by the way, in many cases was not growing organically, right? They, yeah. they really have to earn those customers and work with design partners, whether it's, you know, enterprise or, or end user consumers. So, you know, it could be deflating, I think, when people saw metrics that were wild and, and hey, maybe I'm serving, you know, one tenth or 20% of the customers that I was serving six to nine months ago. Uh, but I think it will serve many of these companies well. And then, you know, new companies that come in that are raising at reasonable valuations, it's like, hey, we can actually build a normal, you know, on a on more of a normal curve over the next couple of years. Definitely. Um, maybe switching topics for the last couple of minutes. Ultimately, you are very involved in DAOs. Uh, maybe touch upon DAOs more holistically and then specifically LinksDAO and um, yeah. some of the things there. Yeah, so I'll start by stating that LinksDAO is actually not a true DAO, like a decentralized autonomous organization, meaning, you know, we didn't um, establish ourselves legally as a DAO. Um, in the United States, it's extremely difficult to set up a, a DAO structure. There are a few states that offer them. Uh, you know, I talked with numerous lawyers at multiple different firms, both professionally, friends who gave me counsel, who I've worked with in the past, and uh, ultimately just decided that for the type of enterprise. So, so LinksDAO is a global golf and leisure membership club. And we just basically for a couple of things, one legally didn't feel like a DAO structure, you know, would would allow us um, to, to execute, but really give us like the legal protection necessary, um, you know, to build out what we're trying to build for the folks who purchased our NFT, um, which grants them a bunch of perks, benefits, governance rights, and, you know, the right to purchase a membership to the golf club. The, uh, the way that we structured it and, and frankly, many quote unquote DAOs do is not like, hey, you vote. And then that the result of the vote triggers like an on-chain action. That's like that's like what a true DAO happens, right? Like, but but we do virtually everything else, meaning like we have uh, a community where, you know, pods are nominated um, and they specialize in things like marketing, course selection, community, 
um, engineering, you name it, right? There's like 12 of them. Um, and then the leaders and the, of those pods then put forth proposals that the entire membership votes on. Um, that vote is recorded on chain. It's discussed using you know, technology like discourse. We use snapshot for votes. And in all the votes that we've had, you know, we've basically adhered to the vote. And so we view them as like an advisory group. That's how many DAOs, quote, air quotes, DAOs operate. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty skeptical on most DAO structures today. Um, it's really, really difficult for uh, your DeFi. I think we're, we're seeing some of the challenges, right? You, you, we just haven't figured it out yet, right? Like, um, if you look at like any of the big DeFi protocols, Maker, Aave, or Compound, like they're run by DAOs, and there's so much complexity. There's concentration of token ownership. There's the same types of like political lobbying um, for key decisions. So we're really early, but I'm optimistic long term that we'll figure out a way for these structures to work. They're also really difficult to operate in the U.S. So um, until we have more regulatory clarity, I think you're going to see you know, DAO formation struggle. Um, I think ApeDAO is one to watch right now. Like the staking that just started, I think, like yesterday over the last couple of days and not many people are doing it and you can't do it in the U.S. It doesn't really work. Um, it's It seems to be off to a pretty messy start. Um, be really interested to watch that. So it's hard to do, you know, pretty much anything in a DAO structure today. But that doesn't mean that long term, you know, DAOs are I think they are a revolutionary way to operate. And particularly once you can have truly liquid tokens associated with functions in the DAO, meaning you can incentivize people via earning tokens for work. Right. You can truly govern via a liquid token. Um, you can have people coordinate in interesting ways. And we're just we're just not there yet. Um, and so it's going to take a couple of years of experimentation. Yeah, no, uh, DAOs are definitely going to be interesting to watch, uh, for the future. Um, in the interest of time, um, maybe last question, ultimately, uh, for 2023, is there any specific thing, ecosystem project, uh, category that you're really excited about? Yeah. So um, the things that we're like really, really excited about, um, are, so I'm particularly excited about, and this is me personally, applications that, um, make use of public blockchains, um, and are, but to, to offer something that people really like already are doing, but can, can do it in a better way. So example yeah. would be links meaning we can offer like there are golf membership passes, but you only get like discounts to like golf things. And like, it's manual, it's messy. If I issue an NFT, we, you can do composable benefits like other projects like doodles or like Knights of Degen, right. Or Yuga labs can like offer benefits to our users. Like, so because they're issued on chain and you have this on chain standard, you can actually have these projects working together seamlessly. Um, that's exciting to me. Another is, we invest in something called Sleepagachi. It's a sleep and earn app. 
It's significantly more enjoyable and engaging than the auto sleep app I was using on my phone, you know, tied to my Apple watch and it's gamified and allows me to set up a room if I have a good night's sleep. And, you know, it's, it's like kind of like a flex and skin. So I'm very excited on the consumer side for things that take experiences that we're already doing and, and frankly, you know, improve upon them and use public blockchains and some of these mechanics to make them better. Um, and then really, really excited, as I mentioned, uh, about uh, so DeFi, like true DeFi. So getting people to be able to not be so reliant with uh, like centralized intermediaries. So crypto exchanges, you know, OTC desks, the Celsiuses of the world, you know, things that are CeFi. And I think that will happen through easier issuance of sort of self-custody and or like MPC and or smart contract wallets. Like, for example, you know, Stardust works with a bunch of games and uh, they issue, I believe, wallets right now, you know, through Fireblocks. And I think are looking at other partners, but they can onboard people who you know, barely even know that they actually are self-custodying. You know, they have the ability um, you know, to take true ownership of their assets if they want. That really excites me. So again, it's 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 just, you know, how do we get people? And I'm just sticking to consumer. Again, you should talk to my partner, Carl, and get into some of the institutional things that we're looking at. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, I really want more people, more fun experiences, more people using. And I think, you know, we're excited for a bunch of the games that we invested in to launch in 2023. Uh, and I think that's going to be a really, really big catalyst. Um, because you want people spending time using applications that matter, that truly take advantage of the power of composability, but also a value exchange that public blockchains allow for. I fully agree. Uh, 2023 users and uh, user experience. Well, really, truly appreciate you coming on the podcast, Mike. Um, I appreciate your voice of reason, your positivity, and uh, saying things that are uncomfortable to say to lead uh, for others. So uh, thank you again. And uh, yeah, appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you, my man. Really appreciate it as well. Awesome.